Hey friends, before we jump in today, I wanted to just quickly say my apologies for you not seeing a new episode in the last couple of weeks. That is honestly just because pod fade is a very real thing. If you've never heard of pod fade before, it's typically something that happens about eight or nine episodes into a new show where the host goes, oh man, this is harder than I thought. <laughs> and I thought because I've done podcasts in the past that I might be immune to it. Nope, not immune to it. And I'm just trying to figure out what's going to work the best for me. I think what will help, and this is what I'm going to try, is we're going to go from releasing every week to doing every other. So you're going to see uh, every other Tuesday there will be a new episode. And that's going to help me just continue to figure things out and the editing burden and guests and all. Like, I'm just wanting to make sure that these conversations are compelling to you as you listen, to me as I have them, and that I'm not just getting bogged down in all the weeds of the, the back end of things. So two episodes a month, every other Tuesday. And if there's an episode that you really like, man, share that conversation. I would greatly appreciate that. If there's a topic or a guest you think should be on, you know, someone that could be on undercurrents, I am all open to topic suggestions, guest suggestions. And the best part of this is the one-on-one -on -one conversations I end up in because of the podcast, just going, I am thinking about this this way, or I have a follow-up question here, or even just theologically, you know, I think this has opened a lot of doors, which is pretty cool and uh, my, my favorite part. So today you're going to enjoy this conversation. Rebecca Thomas Cole is on the, the show. She is someone who I got connected with actually through Tim Whitaker, if you listen to that early episode. So you're going to hear her story, but that's the end of the announcements. Let's dive in today. And uh, this is Undercurrents. Let's go. We got connected in a way that I have to commend you for right off the top because I obviously with this podcast and other shows that I've done, I have to reach out to guests all the time. And sometimes that who am I? How do I explain this to you? Like it's it's difficult. And you did such a good job. So for people that listened to the second episode of Undercurrents with Tim from New Evangelicals, Rebecca actually helps him with some scheduling and does a bunch of other stuff, but that's one of the things she does. And you put so eloquently like in your, in your email back to me, Hey, got this thing scheduled, but also you talk about core values on undercurrents. And you said you're a, a survivor of serious trauma. So domestic violence, you've been a single mom for a long time and core values work was at the foundation of how you found your way out of a toxic life into a new one. Uh, and you wrote a little bit more there, but I was just like, man, thank you for even just saying, Hey, this is something I love talking about. And I, it's going to be a pleasure to get to, to chat with you, hear some of your story. And there's so many places we're going to go today. That was a great way to introduce yourself. You know, I was a little nervous about doing that. And I actually reached out to Tim and was like, is it okay if I reach out to this person? Because this is like my jam. I want to talk mm. about this. And he was like, yeah, I'm all about doing that wherever it feels like right for you. And, you know, I get to connect with quite a lot of people in there. And that was the first time that I was like, oh my gosh, I have to reach out myself. <laughs> so I was just so grateful that you were uh, receptive to that. I'm going to start us in maybe a spot that you weren't expecting, but it, it was something that you wrote uh, a while back. So 
I'm a big fan of Donald Miller. You are a big fan of Donald Miller. You wrote a piece on your reflections from Blue Like Jazz. And you wrote it a while back, like April 2020, I think. But it yep. published and like went live last year. And there were these two paragraphs where I just like, yep. And I drag and dropped it into my outline for today because I'm like, this is a good place to start. So this is what you said. And uh, it resonates a lot with what we talk about on Undercurrents. But you said, sometimes a hurting person can't hear from someone who hasn't lived the human experience. What I mean to say is that a life that exhibits a person's humanity, their depravity, brokenness, loss, grief, despair, a life Life that had to be pulled out of the gutter. Sometimes it takes a visible story of redemption to heal a hurting, a hurting person, family, church, town, nation. And I love how you put this next part. You said, we talk a lot about the truth, but we don't often tell the truth. The truth about how we feel who we're jealous of, what we regret, the seasons of our lives that we're living in complete chaos and disorder, the lies we just told, the life we post on social media so no one will know that we hate our jobs or don't know how to be a mother or that we aren't sure we actually believe any of this. When does that happen? I think that is what I have been waiting for. And to be honest, I could just steal that and make that like part of what undercurrents description is <laughs> because that to me has been where a lot of my questions come from is we say a lot, whether you have a background in church or even I would just let's, let's just go to culture for a second. There's a lot of talk about vulnerability or authenticity and it's a lot harder and a lot scarier than it when you're actually doing it, when you're actually in that moment where you're having to be vulnerable. And so I just say aloud, me too, to everything you wrote. And I want to get a sense of where that kind of growing frustration was birthed for you. And maybe just share some of that that space that this this kind of tell the truth message resonates in, in your heart. Thank you so much for sharing that here. That that piece, first of all, that I wrote was so much from a just a kind of gut-wrenching moment in my life um, mm. in April of 2020. And so I didn't publish it for a long time because it was very, very personal to me. But I thought, you know, I just have to put these words out into the world because I do want to see things change. I wrote another blog post about deconstruction. I actually wrote like a series about that too. And I think that that's probably where my growing frustration began to happen was in the church. You know, I've been in and out of church my whole life. I was raised in, uh, I was Catholic until I was like 11. And then my parents took us to the evangelical church. So E-Free yeah. is the name of our church. And um, there's a lot of talk about what you should do and what you shouldn't do and a lot of rules and a lot of shame. I was asked to leave spaces because of, you know, just being a person. I was being a human mm. being. I was being a teenager. Instead of embracing the humanity of what that is like, um, I was punished for, ostracized for it, really. And um, it took me a lot of years to find my way back to the church as an adult. And when I did, what I noticed was that people weren't really sharing their actual real lives. We were talking a lot about building community. We were talking a lot about doing life together. That phrase mm -hmm. for me is really hard because to me, doing life together is sharing the realness, is telling the truth, talking about my struggles as a mom. I became a mom when I was 22 years old. I was begging for help and no one would, was showing up. And I just thought, mm. what am I wasting my time in this space for? This isn't real. This isn't real. I thought it was real. 
I was pouring into it like it was real and it wasn't. And, um, you know, I'm going to be a little vulnerable here. I haven't shared this a lot, but I am challenging myself. And actually you reading my words back to me was like, Oh, I need to do this myself. Um, I spent six years in Alcoholics Anonymous Mm. for some earlier issues in my life. I think about that a lot. The meetings that I went to were people are sharing their lives. They're sharing their real experiences. They're sharing real struggles. They're sharing their big wins, little wins. That is where truth is being told. So Mm -hmm. when I looked at the church, I thought it's supposed to look like that. And it doesn't. Mm. Why doesn't it? Right? Like, oh, that's where the frustration came from, really. And that's what has challenged me to live differently now. One thing I think of when I think of AA, the first person that honestly comes to my mind when I think of AA is Russell Brand, which is such a funny thing because he's everybody's going to have a different opinion on him. And you may only know him from his movies or maybe now you only know him because of his podcast and some of the new stuff. But he advocates so loudly for AA because and I think a huge part of that is because of just the authenticity that is required to be there and it is coming from a place of everyone that's here for the most part is experiencing such tremendous pain that it's like okay I have to change and pain is one of those core doors if you'll see it that way like a lot of people see it as a dead end when in fact it's it's an opportunity to see yourself more clearly potentially um and to see life a lot differently which is a huge part of of your story the other thing that it brought to mind is another line we use around here a lot i say not shiny but oh so bright and Mm -hmm. i think that's a big part of the frustration that i've sensed even going back to at I spent seven years as a pastor. My dad was a pastor, um, was a missionary kid. And there was, there's a lot of, and this is, I'll just speak for me as a kid, a lot of, uh, let me project this, this way of being, because that's what it seems like will be accepted versus being okay with just saying you don't know, or you aren't sure, or you aren't quite where someone else is, whether that's with belief or with all all the things, right? And so to to figure that out has taken me a really, really long time. But what I want to do is I do want to jump into some of your your story. You've alluded to a couple things that at 21, you're pregnant, right? Um, Abused, kind of scared, thinking there's maybe no future. What, where do I go from here? And if you go 12 years forward in your story to 33, again, you're in a situation where abusive relationship, pregnant, single mom of two kids. So there's 12 years in there. Can you just talk about Rebecca, like where you were? I don't want to lump that in and act like it was all one season. All, every year of life is so different and we experience all sorts of things even day to day. But just talk about as a whole, when you look back on who you were that season, I'd love to to hear that from your experience. Yeah, I I actually do kind of lump all of that in. So it's funny that you say that because I, I do look at that and I was such a different person during that time. 18 to 22 was a whole different mess. But that time, I think I was just trying to figure things out. And because I had already felt a little bit like I didn't really ever belong in this church community. I was a very loud, opinionated, strong-willed uh, person. <laughs> surprise, surprise. 
And um, that doesn't always go over very well. I remember looking around like the the college church group, for example, and seeing all of these kind of couples meet up freshman year of college and get married and stuff. And that was not happening for me. I didn't feel like I had a place there. So I really did find other people that seemed a little bit more accepting of me, but that mm-hmm. also put me in some situations that made life a little bit more challenging. I would say I for sure looked at myself with the victim mentality. All of these things were happening to me. I wow. didn't really have a part in it. I definitely had an outlook as though, not that like God was punishing me or anything, but just like fate is a real thing. I'm destined to have this life that's just hard and there's nothing I can do about it. Wait, pause there. Where does that originate? Now you've had more hindsight and you yeah. can sense that in yourself, but what were some of the like the driving forces of that that victim mentality? Actually, I've thought about this a lot recently, this idea of power, this idea of like personal empowerment, my own individual agency. As a young girl growing into a woman in the church, that's where my formative years all were surrounded by. I was taught that I didn't really have power. I didn't have it. It wasn't mine to keep. Um, If I ever got any, I'm supposed to give it away because women are just not in that position. So I would say that it was probably an underlying belief that I'm not the decision maker. I'm supposed Mm -hmm. to get married. And then he's supposed to be the decision maker. So I'm supposed to be in my parents' household. My dad is the decision maker and then go into that situation. But I'm never supposed to actually be in charge of my own self. It's so interesting that you brought up agency because... I've been kind of removed from church world for like the last three years. You described my journey, but you added an element to it where I've never even put myself in your shoes as a woman. There's so much privilege being white male pastor in an evangelical church. Like I, and I see a lot of that, but the agency thing, I actually think plagues a majority of people that grew up in church where God has like the power. He's kind of making things happen. He'll, he'll open the doors for you. So I removed myself from feeling that I should do things or I should take agency. I was in a conversation recently with some people that are still in church and I brought up agency and they didn't, they had never heard that before. They didn't know what agency was instantly. It was this trigger in my brain. Oh my gosh, I've never thought about I don't, I probably didn't know either till like the last few years. So you adding that level of, well, I was supposed to look at the man, get married. And that, that is incredible. I did not want to cut you off there, but that was such a good point. Keep, keep going, keep going. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, you know, I even would take this a step forward. I ended up in relationships with men that were very unhealthy. I think when I didn't believe that I should have power or agency. And someone came along and said, I love you. I will take care of you. I will do all of these things. I'm like, here you go. Here is all of my power. Cause that's what I'm supposed to do. Right. And so I did that with men that were not good for me. And in fact, were dangerous for me in some cases for a long time. I thought I just had a really bad picker. And I don't think that's the case. I think I've taken a lot of that on myself when in fact, I wasn't set up well to make these decisions in a healthy way. And I don't mean to disparage my parents or anything by doing it. I think the system was not set up well to give me that kind of wisdom. So when I do look at that, that time, I see myself not understanding my own agency. I see that I handed over my own agency without knowing it because I wasn't aware um, pretty consistently. 
And I think I just was letting life happen to me. When I did end up at 33 years old, and here I am pregnant, leaving another abusive relationship, which has taken me a long time to be able to say without feeling embarrassed completely inside my being, because that is a hard thing to say. When I got there, I thought this is not happening again. This is not happening again. And in fact, the the person that I left out of that relationship, somehow throughout that relationship had taught me all of the things that I needed to be able to leave him, which is also hard for me to really conceptualize. But he did. He taught me how to advocate for myself in my job. He taught me how to advocate for myself with people in my life. Now he was doing it in a way that was manipulative and abusive to keep all of me for himself. But Mm -hmm. by teaching me how to do that, he taught me how to do it to him and leave, which was an incredible set of skills to have. Without that, I don't know that I would have been able to actually leave. But once he did that, I thought, wow, I just did that. I did that. I chose that. I made that happen. And now here I am. What am I going to do? And so from that point, I realized that I do have agency over my life. I do get to make decisions and I need to figure out how I'm going to do that. Take me into that epiphany, that awakening. I'm imagining there's things that you're becoming aware of. And there's also like a limit that you're hitting where you're like, I have to break through the ceiling. I have to break out of this relationship. So do you remember any like key moments where it's like, I am changing this? And was there even a start date and then time in between where you're debating with yourself and then you're like, okay, no, I'm finally cutting the cord. What does that time look like to you? Um, Yes, there was definitely a starting point, And then there was a time timeline that happened. That's exactly how it went. I remember very vividly when it started. My grandmother had passed away. So this is December 4th of 2013. For some reason, I said, I am going to her funeral alone. I don't want you coming with me. I'm going to go by myself because I need to be there for my mom and I need to not be distracted. So I did that. And while I was there, so my grandmother was a a very, uh, I know where I get all my opinionated and like strong-willed and, you know, (laughs) I know where I get that from. Got it. I'm sitting in the service, just listening about her legacy, listening about who she was and being reminded really of like, wow, we do have a lot of power as women in this family. And I hadn't really ever looked at it that way. No one had told anyone in my family that any of this was going on. I had kind of been really separated from my mom for a while um, because of this relationship that I'd been in. And so this is the first time she and I had really been in close proximity without this other person there. One after another, my aunts were coming up and telling me, you know, you are so powerful. You are so strong. You are so, and they were just, I'm going to start crying thinking about, they were just telling me all the things that I needed to be reminded of. Mm. And so, um, Mm. I had like two days of that. Just like, I mean, it was crazy. It was like one and my cousins and just my, I have an older cousin, he lives in Washington and he was saying stuff. I haven't seen that guy for 15 years, probably before that. So it was just really crazy how these words were being spoken over me in a way that was like, just triggering this response. It was like, yes, yes, I am. Yes, I need. Oh my goodness. I'm so glad to be reminded of this. I went home feeling so strong in myself. So it's such a good reminder of how powerful the words are of the people that are around us, because for so long I had been listening to 
how weak I was and how I needed this person and how no one else has your best interest in mind. I'm the only one that does. And then going here and that was actually the good stuff. I wasn't pregnant yet. So it took, I would say six months before it really like took root and grew into something that was like, no, I am not doing this anymore. I can do this. I don't need to be afraid that I will fail. I love that. It was the prompter was those words. I say often courage today, boldness tomorrow, confidence someday. And when I, what I mean by that is like, well, even before I get there, encourage that idea that anytime you encourage someone, you're pouring courage into them is this way of thinking that has like, I hope that our words or we think of our words in that way, that as you become awake and aware of these things is like, oh, yes, all these people's words have really encouraged me or I've seen the weight of bad words. So then if I was to even though sometimes it feels awkward, if I was to just take on the mantle of, I am going to be the person that pours courage into other people at every available opportunity, because you don't know what seeds you're planting in those moments. And for you, you're, you're saying it took six months, but that courage to me is like, okay, well, eventually for Rebecca, it turns into boldness. And then there's, okay, I might not really, you might not describe yourself as confident, but you did have to have enough confidence to leave. You did have to have enough courage to, to bounce. So those six months, are you debating with yourself in your head what the next move is? Are you like making a plan or what is the the internal mental state of Rebecca during those six months? Yeah, there were definitely some uh, arguments going on internally. I had already left one really bad, two really bad relationships by that point. So I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is just one more failed thing. Do I really want to do that? And then I'm looking at my, I have two children and I'm looking at them and thinking, oh my gosh, the things they've already been subjected to in this. The first three years were wonderful. So there was this hope that it would always get back to that. Then there had to be the recognition that that was in the past and that wasn't ever going to come back. And even if it could have, the amount of work that it would have required was just unfathomable to me. Like this, that would have been relying on this other person to make choices for themselves. That I just really came to believe were not possible for him. February 20th of 2014, the Winter Olympics are on. I'm watching it. He walked in the door and I looked at him and said, I think you need to leave. And he said, really? And I said, yep. And he left. And that was a a quintessential moment because it was the first time that I had said, you need to leave. It was the first time that I had spoken with a lot of confidence that like, this is the path I'm on. Now, continuing down that path was then a series of a lot of different things that I won't get into all the details. But at the end of the day, I did have my stepdad say to me, when you're ready to be done, we are here. And so I knew that I had a safety net of sorts. Yep. He did also move. You know, I made some very strategic moves in my life, including my residence, so that I could actually begin to feel like I was living a new life. I wasn't just trying to create something new where I was. I had to actually physically change a lot of things so that I could move into something new and feel like I was becoming someone new. Wow. Well, you've been on 
an incredible journey since even then. Now you're a certified trauma-informed life coach. I think I saw you're also like an accredited Enneagram practitioner, which we could probably just do a whole nother episode on that and I could nerd out on it. That's definitely a future episode that we'll we'll deep dive into. But I want to ask you some specific questions around trauma. And then I also obviously what we talked about right at the beginning, there's some core value stuff and how that became integral to you that we're, we're going to go there. Let me ask you a few questions on trauma first. So now let's come to present day. Yeah. How do you look back at that? Recognize your past, hold space for the previous versions of yourself and also try to live present and just be here. How do you hold those versions of you at the same time? I'm so glad you asked it like that because I often say that I've been several several different Rebecca's up until this Same. point and um there are a few versions of her that I haven't really felt maybe okay yet to really go back and talk to her. Um I'm kind of in mm. in the space of being able to do that. So part of that for me is working with a strong trauma specialist. This path I'm on to really grieve the losses that I had and to allow her to express her pain is really important to me. Now, not every day am I capable of doing that. Some days I have to do what I did to survive and that is to kind of cut off those feelings because it is too much. But then there are other days like um, a week ago, I was in the car on the way home from my mom's house. I was not driving, thank goodness. And I just lost it. And I was sobbing and there was no real explanation. It was one little thing that triggered it, but it was so good. And so I think one of the things that I've realized for myself, and I think this is really important for anyone who's been through hard things, is when you can get to this place of just letting yourself feel it, you have to do that because there is no other way. I've heard a lot of people talking about how the pandemic caused, you know, like they're really feeling like they're just now coming out of survival mode of these past few years. And for me, COVID starting was like prime time of me coming out of survival mode. So that was like the best thing that could have happened for me as far as needing to be able to be at home, be in a safe place, like start to really process things. That's when a lot of the work started happening. And so I look at COVID as like, I'm so grateful that I had that space um, because it's in that space that I've been able to do a lot of this work. I think the idea also of holding space for those past Rebecca's, like you just said, is so important. And I actually want to bring this back to something you said earlier about we do talk a lot about vulnerability. We do talk a lot about, you know, telling the truth. We've talked so much about being vulnerable, but we haven't talked a lot about holding space for the people that are. And I think building community, that is so important. So I'm practicing doing that for myself in these yeah. moments as I'm healing, but I'm also practicing doing that for other people because in order to build these communities, like we want to, it's not enough that we show up in vulnerability. Of course, that is like our commitment that we're making to our community to do that. But we also have to make a commitment as other people's community to show up in the way of holding space where we're not yeah. giving advice. We're not telling them what they did wrong. We're not trying to fix it. We're just there holding them in their experience, whatever that is, whether we agree with it or don't or whatever, but holding space is like the easiest thing in the world to do. If we would just stop thinking about ourselves in the moment, I think that's the best thing, right? Is, and I just see so much value in being able to do that, but I don't see a lot of conversation about that. I think you're right. And I believe the stat is something like 
for <laughs> extroverts, if it's quiet for like seven seconds, their skin starts crawling. And I am so guilty of that. And it's also hardest with the people that are closest to you, right? So even though I feel like my wife and I have really good communication, the thing that we probably frustrates us about our communication most of all tends to be things like what you're articulating there. It's it's really hard to consistently hold space for someone that's really close to you because you know so much about them and you know all these little things and you feel like if you were them, you could shift little things and their life would be so much better and all this stuff. So like to get yourself into a space where it's okay to to sit in the same uncomfort that someone else is experiencing. And th- you like, I've been on the receiving end of that. That's very healing for me to just have someone sit there and like be present with that. One thing I found helpful is like asking someone like, what do you need right now? Because sometimes it is talking it out. Sometimes it is like, well, no, I really can't see a way forward. Do you see anything that I don't see? There's times for all of these different responses when we're saying be vulnerable. Well, if they don't feel like there's a level of trust, they're not going to be vulnerable. I also want to speak real quick to the many versions of us. One of the previous guests on this podcast, her name's Sarah Barlow. She gave me this meditation. It's like an hour and 15 minutes long. And so she's like, hey, put something over your eyes and just do this hour 15 thing. It was life-changing for her. So I did it like two weekends ago. And and the, the main thing was addressing a previous version of myself where that I have had now two times. So this meditation and about 10 years ago, the same moment came up where in fourth grade, probably that one of the hardest years of my life, definitely the hardest year in school. I had this one particular day that was like worse than all the others where I don't, did you have pink slips in school? Yes. Okay. So if you got five pink slips in my elementary school, then you got a detention and, uh, I was a very ADHD kid. This was my first year not living overseas. So I was in a new school. I was making new friends, like formative moments of my life. And I got five. Most people don't get five pink slips in like a week or in a quarter. I got five pink slips in a day. And I got my fifth right as the as school was like ending. Anyway, I can remember the exact route that I walked to the car. I can remember someone that gave me a hug because they could tell I was about to cry. I can remember how I got in the car. I can remember wearing my backpack, like not even taking it off and just like wanting my parents to drive me home. The whole thing. So two weekends ago, I'm doing this meditation and I literally am like putting myself in my own shoes, this previous version of myself. And like, instead of seeing it in forward motion, I live it in reverse from the car all the way back down the hallway, all the way back into my fourth grade classroom. And I'm sitting back in my seat. And I feel like addressing that kid and being like, hey, how you see people that hold power over you because of that teacher, how you perform for other people because you felt you had to be whatever socially that you had to be for those classmates because they didn't know you yet. There's a stem from that. And like you can give that kid some grace. And also it was this addressing of what would you tell that person now? And this will not resonate for everyone because maybe not everyone is visual in the way I'm describing it. But for me, it was this life-changing, oh, wait a second. I am 31 now. And I look at however young a fourth grader is. And I'm like, I hold so much grace for you. But how often are we doing that for ourselves? Hey, you were doing the best with what you had at the time. And thank you for serving me as well as you possibly could. And thank God that there's been an evolution since then. I really like the phrase, we grow at the rate of pain. So 
if if Mm. people haven't really taken pain as an opportunity to grow, then maybe they wouldn't resonate with having several versions of yourself. But if you do stop in that really painful or hard thing and make these kind of larger transitions, then you are going to have all those previous versions to go back to. And I I love the idea of going back and thinking about what you would say. It's weird because it's pain can also get you stuck. So I don't want to, and, and it's okay if you feel like you're in it, like, this podcast is as much for people that feel like they're stuck in their pain as it is for people that feel like they've grown from it. Cause that was always frustrating, right? When you're in a season where you're like, I just, all I do is I'm just feeling the pain. I don't feel like I'm growing from it. That's a very valid place to be. And, uh, uh yeah. Yeah. Okay. I got more questions on trauma. Let me post some of these at you. Another one is what were some of the ways that you acknowledged your past and the reality of trauma in a healthy way? I think it was 2021, maybe in the summer. I actually went back to my dad's house. He lives in Wisconsin and I'm in California. So we went back there for several weeks and I grew up in the Midwest. And as I was there, I think what's really interesting for me is going back to those places because it is in going back to those places that I do have a lot of memories come up where maybe that wouldn't happen if I wasn't going back there. Um, But acknowledging the fact that I had learned very early on that when something hard happens, you shut the door and move on and we don't ever talk about it again. It was definitely how we moved through things in my family. And it was not until 2021, I'm 42 now, I was 39 or whatever, 40, however old I was, bad at math right now. (laughs) Um, But I realized that I had been doing that too. Like that is a thing Mm. that I learned. And that is a thing that I did in my life pack it in a box and put it in the back and not realizing that all of these trauma things, the way trauma shows up, like it just shows up. You cannot box that up and then hope that it'll just stay there. It will start coming out in really sideways instances where you're like, whoa, what was that? I'm married now. And I absolutely have experiences with my now husband who I call a unicorn because he is just an amazing human being. And he is here for it all, you know, me dealing with all this stuff and he holds space in such an incredible way for me. And he has to deal with me going through these moments of like, I do lash out at him. There have been moments for sure where I have lashed out at him and it wasn't him. It was because something in the moment triggered me and I was transported right back to this old Hmm. place. I can't prevent that from happening but it is recognizing that it happened. I am not just lashing out because I'm a horrible person. I am lashing out because something really bad happened to me. And I haven't dealt with that thing yet. That one right there. I had those 12 years where I was stuck. I was in this place of not understanding that I that I could do anything about it. There have been many times where I have been struck with a new one and I'm like, seriously, I thought I got it all. I thought I was done. And now here we go again, you know? Mm -hmm. And so now I think I'm much less surprised when that happened because I'm like, yep, seems about right. I was feeling pretty good with where I've gotten to in my healing journey, but there's more. And um, yeah, I, I think that dealing with the trauma now is just, I am more willing to recognize it. I think there has been a stigma around the word trauma. There are ideas that trauma is just like a bad thing that happened to you. And that's not the reality. The reality is that your parents could have done a a fantastic job, but maybe you did live a life of needing to be shiny 
all the time. And so they didn't, that's not a bad thing that was done to you, but it is a long-term situation that you grew up in. And so that can be traumatic for some people. There's acute trauma, there's complex trauma, there's relational trauma. Now there's a study that has come out about patriarchal trauma, which shows up in the workplace. So it really is about how we are interacting in the world. And if we feel like we have the space then to to work through that in the moment. And if we don't, then we're going to hold on to it. And then that's what's going to start causing us problems down the road. I am a, a product of a lot of really bad things that have happened to me, but I also am taking, you know, taking some of the, the responsibility of making sure that I don't pass that on. Cause I also believe that I can only parent to the level of my own healing. So I will parent yeah. how I was parented and I have parented how I was parented. I want to change that. Uh, my parents, absolutely did the best that they could. So in no way am I disparaging them, but I do think it's my responsibility to parent in a different way. I want something different for my kids. I want them to know that they do have power. They do have agency. My youngest is eight years old. I want him to be empowered now. I don't want him to have to learn that when he's 40. One thing I've noticed is our lived experience will pull us into the past or pull us into the future and get us out of now. So we either get really fearful about something that's coming down the line, about whatever is on our schedule, whatever is ahead of us, or some people get fearful about doing the the internal work of like what, some of what we were just talking about, looking at previous versions of themselves because they go, well, Rebecca, Benji, if I did that, I would get stuck in just assessment, constant reassessment. This happened to me when I was a kid, this happened to me. And that hasn't been my experience. The more that I've kind of gone, I'm here now and I'm trying the best I can. The same things come up over and over again. I'm, sh- I will, I'm sure I will address fourth grade again. It's, it's come back to that a number of times, but it's made me more present now to go there and to come back, go there come back. When it feels like it needs to be addressed, we address it. But ultimately, it's in service of who I am today. And uh, has that kind of been how you felt with around that as well? That it's when you have those trauma moments, like it's past or future, and it's pulling you away from present? Yeah, I would say that it has only served to help me move through those moments even more easily. My husband was such a big part of this, actually. So having somebody that reminds me that this thing I did does not define who I am has been incredibly helpful. These feelings I'm having are completely valid because I'm having them. They're normal. That's one thing I try and tell my clients as well. This is totally normal. And you are doing a great job and doing some of that encouraging. I loved how you explained that. You are showing up. You are here. You are still doing it. This is hard work. That is one of the biggest things. This is hard work and you are doing it. Like that is an amazing thing. So it is okay to feel sad over the past. It is okay to be concerned about the future, but you are doing the work. And when I remember that for myself, that man, that is powerful stuff. Yep. Yeah, truly. So there's this part of this where we're going, okay, so, you know, takes the courage to actually leave the relationship you were in, then there's in some ways, like that's the finish line of a part of your life, but it's the starting line of what do I build from here? What do I want to create? And 
that is where I found the two things that I tell people and probably preach too much. I actually need to do one of these activities again. But Donald Miller, he has this thing where you write your own eulogy. That was really yes. impactful for me about two years ago. And there's parts of that have even shifted more now that I had more of my values like locked in. But it was the eulogy and the core values. And I know values matter to you. So talk a bit about how that was pivotal. What did you start to do and how did you become aware of this idea of having personal core values? I was just telling this story the other day and I think where it started was in my workplace, I had a manager that I worked for and he would change his mind depending on who was talking to him. And I remember that striking me as that shouldn't happen. Aren't you supposed to be the person that makes decisions? And I remember going home and thinking about this. So this was probably 2015. I just thought, isn't that like integrity? Like you should be the same no matter what. And so I thought integrity, that's a good word. What does that mean? And so I looked it up and I started thinking about how do I have a a life that is built on integrity? That I would show up as the same person, no matter where I am. I have said these beliefs are really important to me for a long, long time, you know, God and all this stuff. Like, am I living that? Am I doing that in my household? Am I, you know, and I started asking myself these questions, am I showing up? the same everywhere I go? And the answer was no. And I was like, Ooh, (laughs) I've got some work to do. And so really integrity was the first one, which to me a little bit now, I'm like, that's not even on my list anymore. Not because it's not important, but because that's like foundational for me. So I don't Mm -hmm. feel like it's something I need to keep building your foundation. That's something I'm realizing too, is like, there's things that I put in my eulogy that I would want to change, you know, two years down the road but they were so formative on honesty was the word Rebecca for me. I'm i I'm an Enneagram three. And okay. so that shininess comes from yeah. the three w- wanting to perform. And I've given myself a lot more permission, like lean into the part of you that likes creation, mm. but don't do it in order to appease somebody or a group of people. Because if I perform this just right and I'm shiny just enough, you know, but I resonate probably a lot with your boss, <laughs> to be honest, or your manager, where it was like, there's a tendency to how do I appease this room? You had probably, you had to be in the right place to go, I'm going to look up integrity because you, otherwise you, you wouldn't even doubt that. Like, yeah, I probably have integrity, right? But you had your lens off for a minute and then you're able to see that. And honestly, I don't even know how I was able to see it in the moment. I just remember that was where it started. I've had to go back to that word on occasion. Am I still doing that? Is that still something that I'm striving for? So having them written down actually is so important because that's how I remember to integrate these things into my life regularly, Mm -hmm. especially if it like, some newer ones that I might've decided to bring in now, because I do think they change depending on the season that we are in. Hmm. Yeah, You'll hear recurring themes in people's values. And I think that's actually a, a really beautiful part. There's a part of me that loves independence. And so I'm like, Oh, my words sound so much like other people's. But hmm. the truth is that there are, I've heard it put like w- when the world religions were studied, uh, I think they boiled it down to six values that were these recurring things that they all seem to center around. So it's like, no matter what words you choose, we could probably bucket the word you choose into a more transcendent value, one of those six, and that's totally fine. Uh, but it's getting really clear on what are the things that matter most to me. So how many values do do you have now? What is that materialized into a little bit? I'd love to know how you think about it. Yeah. So I, I try to have just five because I think anything more than that is just too much. Um, and you know, core values, 
Honestly, if you asked any of my friends, what is the most important thing to me about being a human being, they would all tell you core values because I talk about it all the time. Like core values are the basis. Even when I met my husband, I remember telling him, I have a very specific set of core values. These things are very, very important to me. And so if we don't align on those things, then like, I can't be part of this with you. I mean, that was like serious for me. And he had never really done that work. And then when we were in the process of getting married, actually, when we were planning our wedding, we had a mission statement about our wedding. And we had a set of values that were going to be really important to us in planning that occasion. Um, and then we have a okay, wait, So pa- pause there real quick. Why did you feel like that was so important to you? And how did it serve you? Like, let's just use your wedding as an example, choosing to yeah. do that to some people's like, you did what for your what? What? Like, wh- yeah. How did that serve you guys in that season? Um, I think it's, re- you know, it kind of goes back to the eulogy thing. How do I want at the end? And this was the question that we asked ourselves at the end of the day. So we're going to have this one day and it's going to be so special. At the end of this day, how do we want to feel? That was number one. But how do we want the people that have been there with us to feel? What do we want them to have experienced? And really that helped us actually, this is such a silly example, but it helped us like not buy flowers for the tables. Sure. Which I think at the end of the day, we did buy some, but it was like, no one's going to care about the centerpieces because they're not there for that. Like how often do you hear people talk about the centerpieces at a wedding? Unless they're outright, maybe if they're like super spectacular, but we wanted, actually what we wanted them to talk about was how much fun it was. We wanted them to talk about how, um, these were like all of our people, right? We have, I call us people collectors. We just love people and we just want to be with our people. And so we wanted that to be really evident in the day. And so I think it just really goes back to what is it that you want to have at the end of this? They really do help us uh, make decisions and stay honest with ourselves and then where we're trying to go. But where we want to end up at the end of the day, that I think is the most important part of figuring out what your values are because they become your There's two ways, right? It's like a filter that you run decisions through. So it takes certain things off the table because it doesn't really align. It filters that out. And then the other way, it's a future leaning thing where it's, where do we ultimately kind of want to end up? I wonder what your take is on this because the decision one seems a little bit easier to me only because you can, when you're filtering, it's like, it's a tool that's required. So when you're making a big decision, you, Oh, let me filter this through these values real quick. I found it harder in the implementation process to go. uh, I want to continue to come back to these values. Let's say periodically, whether weekly, monthly, whatever, and go, what am I doing on a consistent basis that lines up with these things? And so that's where I'm really trying to grow right now is like, I don't want to just kind of reference this, reference this every once in a while. I'm like, oh, these words sort of matter to me in some way. I really want there to be some practical things that I'm doing proactively that line up with those values. How do you do that for yourself? You've mentioned community. How do you recurringly come back to those to make sure you're making decisions in those directions? I definitely write them down because yeah. I will forget what they are. I have them actually, I was, I have them in my book right here. So yes. they're in the front page, you know, it's like my main information is right there. And then I think I talk about them a lot and then I do come back to them. We set goals as a couple every year. You know, I, I we have personal goals. We have our three-year and five-year goals too. But every year we come back to that and we come back to the values as well and make sure that we like 
do we still hold these values? Do we want to change them? So we do reevaluate. While our stories are completely different, it makes so much sense to me that you would encounter this period of time where you're like, okay, after all these 30 plus years of all this different stuff I've gone through, who am I? Let me set some values. Let me set my course. And then I'm going to double down on these things. Same way for me, left church. I'm like, okay, I got a lot of quiet time. I got a lot of space. I'm going to double down on some of these things. And uh, it's a journey with a lot of ups and downs where you're like, I don't really live up to this, but this is who I'm aspiring to be. So none of what we're saying on values is like this robotic, like you are now going to be perfect at these things. It's more of just, let's set our course and like intentionally move in the direction. And the most comical part, this is the end of my rant. The most comical part to me about values is that's how you start when you're young. What are the first things that your parents teach you? The first kids books that get read, they're all about essentially these values that we should hold as a society or we should hold as a community of people. But somewhere along the way, those kind of things like integrity, things like community, valuing other people, loving people well, uh, all like growth mindset, abundance. Those are things we want to have in us, but like we had them or we were learning them. And then you go through this all the life stuff and they get buried, buried, buried. And at some point, this is an invitation to readdress those things. So that's where value has been super valuable for me. But um, and any that. last things on that? Any last challenges like with the work that you're doing, the, with what you've seen with core values? I know you love talking about it, but like last things that you'd want to tell uh, people listening to this. Yeah, I, you know, one of the things I thought of while you were saying that was Using them in some way to challenge yourself can be really good as well. Like, for example, one of my current ones right now is inner harmony. So if I'm not feeling a lot of harmony internally, and, you know, like, for example, I had an issue with a person in my life lately, recently, and it required me to do some honest communication that was really hard for me. But because I did that, because I challenged myself with this value, I had to do that. And I feel more in alignment with myself now. Okay. We're wrapping up this episode. Rebecca, thank you so much for for your time and for this conversation. People can find you on social. I know I follow you on Instagram. Anywhere else that you want people to, to kind of connect with you? Um, I would love them to join my email list. That's where I'm cool. going to be sharing a lot of, you know, kind of insider information as well. Um, and that's just rebelcoaching.com and it's R-E-B-L coaching.com. Okay. Few reminders as we wrap up here. Number one, the best way to live is to look for what we have in common, not how you're right. Number two, the best way to live is open-handed, ready to evolve and ready to learn. And three, we've mentioned it on here a few times, not shiny, but oh, so bright. Cheers, friends. Thank <laughs> you.